As us kids, we're just kind of seeking our own way. We were all getting involved in different things. I was getting involved in a lot of bad groups with bad people, drug dealers, um, gang members, various people that were just um, bad influences. It, it felt like family, in a sense. Uh, a lot of us had similar backgrounds, similar stories, uh, could relate to each other in that way. And a lot of relatable pain that brought us together. Uh, and it, it, it kind of seemed to, in some ways, fulfill that need for, for love and and family and stuff that um, I just didn't have in my life, that stability that wasn't there. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Thank you all for watching, listening to our podcast. It is always a joy to be back. And today we have a very special guest, Jordan. Uh, thank you, Jordan, Hello. for joining us. Yeah, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, just being part of this episode and just to share what the Lord has done in your life. Before we begin, I normally like to ask our guests to share a passage that impacted their life or had an impact in the process of their conversion, and I would like you to read that passage. One that uh, has, the Lord has really used in my life. And it came at, he basically directed me to it in the, in the moment I would say that he um, brought understanding to my eyes was Isaiah 30. Um, the, the context basically for it is that Assyria was at Israel's gates basically. Um, Hezekiah, he, um, he, didn't, he didn't know what to do. He should have been trusting in the Lord and that's the first thing that he should have gone to to seek help in this uh, situation, but instead he listened to his counselors who were saying, reach out to Egypt. Uh, that was Israel's old bondage, right? Their old um, master, their old idol in a sense. Um, and uh, he listened to them out of disobedience and, and he um, sent ambassadors to seek military help. But anyway, the Lord's response through the prophet was, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of a pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. A couple verses later, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved, and in quietness and trust is your strength but you were not willing. After, after a bit of this uh, announcing of a curse for their sin, uh, the Lord so graciously says, O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. Um, he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice, and how blessed are all those who long for him. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear um, a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, and you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold, you will scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, Be gone. Thank you for uh, reading the pass those passages for us. We like to get to know our guests before we get to the main point of, uh, you know, the how the Lord saved you. 
uh, we like to know a little bit about your life growing up, your okay. family, and uh, was it a believing home? And just, okay. you know, just yeah. kind of giving us a background about yourself. You know, at the very start of it, when you when you start the tale, right, when you open the book, it it almost looks like a really good, great scenario. Like um, my father was a pastor. He married um, the daughter of a church leader, of a church elder. Mm-hmm. They actually uh, met at Grace. Um, that's where they came out of. My dad had been sent to uh, Washington State, basically, to um, be a youth pastor there and to be involved in church there. Uh, he had gone through the seminary and everything at Grace. So, so that was the plan. I was born out here, um, so I was one of the kids that was with him already when, when we all moved over there. It was there that uh, all the crazy stuff, I guess, beha- began. When I was about two and a half years old, there was a particular member in my family who was uh, kind of abusive, and uh, they had pushed me into um, this pond in a, in a cow field, you know, just like, a, you know, you can imagine it, just this really dirty mm-hmm. little body of water, and um, I became very sick. And uh, I was in the hospital. They found Giardia lambly. It's just a really nasty little pathogen that just really messed me up as this little two-year-old who's supposed to be developing an immune system. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. I was hospitalized. And um, that's where the diagnosis of ulcerative colitis began. That was a the beginning of a trial that would um, really affect me and my family and stuff for a long time. And later, when I was 15, is when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. But but anyway, um, that's a little bit of background that's that's relevant. Um, more brokenness just seemed to happen in the family. Um, I hadn't seen my grandfather since I was about three years old, probably because, um, he was also abusive with me and, and he was diff- he, it was hard enough for my dad growing up with him and, and seeing who his father was. And then when he saw how his father treated his own kids, um, he's just like, no, we've had enough. We've got to cut some parts of the family off. So there we were in Washington and, and, uh, my father, doing his his pastoral stuff and eventually my uh my mother came out and showed that um she had been talking to other men and been being unfaithful and i now me and my siblings we didn't know all this background we we were sat down at one point um and told oh daddy's got to go away for a bit we didn't know why like we we were so sheltered that it was just i remember as like a 9 year old i was like what's what's going on what does this mean is this some kind of joke uh, mommies and daddies don't separate, right? You know, I'd never seen that before. My mom, I think, was was being manipulative probably and, and making it seem kind of like it was just a separation. Um, we had no idea that she already had the plans to make a divorce eventually. Um, but I remember it, it tore me up as a little kid. And that day, um, like, I just went to my room crying, didn't understand what was going on. And that was just kind of like the beginning of this, of my world being rocked because from there... Uh, the only rock in my life or the only individual who um, cared about our souls, cared about the souls of my siblings and I, um, was being removed from us. And it was, it was uh, the courts gave her everything. They gave her the children. They gave her uh, the money, the house. Um, and he uh, had to just go find this apartment far away that he could barely afford and stuff because everything was taken from him. That, that Christian influence in my life um, that he had raised us up in, uh, was just gone all of a sudden, basically. With it being gone, my mom, you know, went full throttle into all the things she was chasing and interested in, and and married this other guy, and he brought in his kids, um, two like a pair of two kids from two different marriages, um, and those people, uh, yeah, just 
we were just exposed to all sorts of different things and just um, allowed to go. Uh, just the restraints were off, if that makes sense. And we would see my father every Wednesday and every other weekend, but it wasn't really enough for him to consistently sow in our lives. And um, he was going through his own depression and, and things from all that. Um, his best friend was trying to call him every day to remind him to get up and go to work and seek God and all this stuff. And it was just hard for him. So it'd be hard for him to kind of reach out and lead his children too, who were removed from him. A lot of things changed for me during that time. As his kids were just kind of seeking our own way, uh, we we were all getting involved in different things. I um, I was getting involved in a lot of bad groups with bad people, um, drug dealers, um, gang members, various people that were just um, bad influences, and uh, it felt it felt like family in a sense. Uh, a lot of us had similar backgrounds, similar stories, uh, could relate to each other to each other in that way. Yeah, a lot of relatable pain that brought us together, uh, and it, it it kind of seemed to, in some ways, fulfill that need for for love and and family and stuff that um, I just didn't have in my life. That stability that wasn't there. In none of that time did I ever really. I don't think I ever would have said I didn't believe in God. Um, I surely wasn't living for him, I, and I wasn't, I don't think, claiming to be. My dad was still, when he could, uh, trying to have us do Bible studies with him and different things, and and we'd kind of play along because we kind of didn't have any other choice, uh, you know? Like, oh, do we have to memorize this? All right, I memorized it. Can you leave me alone now and let me go play video games or whatever, right? You know, he had no idea what us other kids were doing in our lives until it was too late in most cases. Eventually, um, my older sister kind of went her own way. I guess I could break things up into phases. There was kind of like that childhood phase where everything seemed so great until it all fell apart. Um, and then there was kind of that uh, teenager, high school age or whatever, where I, I started really gravitating towards darkness and, and bad people. And that is where I started seeing and doing things that uh, just like affected me greatly. I had always, I think by God's grace, in some ways he had already, he had always planted like this really gentle heart in me in some ways. So as I was getting involved in different things and, and people were pushing me to do bad things and convincing me and, and using peer pressure and stuff, there was, my conscience spoke to me and, and uh, there was hesitancy, but uh, I would always ignore it and embrace the sin. Being in and out of the home um, and going to different places. And and um, and eventually it came to a point where I had a, I had a fight with my mom. And um, it was interesting because I was in no place to tell her this. But she, she was bad-mouthing my dad and trash-talking him. And, and I knew enough of Scripture. I, I, I definitely knew enough of Scripture to tell her, hey, look, you you are the adulteress. You're the one who destroyed this family. You claim to be a Christian. You don't live like it. I see your life. You know, you're a fraud. And, and she was upset and had her um, had her husband, like, pull me out of the house and kick me out. And uh, it was winter, so I was just out in the snow and um, went and uh, lived in the hallway of the library for a couple of days and then contacted some people I knew and moved in with them and for a short time. And, and they... Uh, you know, they're like, we can't, we can't babysit you. Um, you know, if you want to help us with the, with the drug business and sell and stuff like that, like you can be useful and we can, 
you know, you can move around and you can stay in these places, et cetera, but we can't babysit you. So I tried that for a bit and um, it was just too much for me. It reached a, a climax when um, I had a good friend. We, were, we, would, we would get together in his um, grandparents' property. They had this kind of bigger area in the woods and there was kind of like a, a shed in the back. They would store a bunch of stuff, and we'd use the upstairs to hang out and play video games. And uh, we'd we'd be up there getting high for sure, you know. And mm-hmm. we were supposed to split this portion of ecstasy, and uh, I I blew him off last minute to go uh, spend time with somebody else. Uh, this this girl I liked, and he took my portion and his and overdosed. And uh, we we didn't know where he was for the first day, and then found out um, when people were looking for him that. You know, they they found him. That put death on my mind. Also a lot of guilt because I blamed myself. You know, I was supposed to be there with him. Could have helped him maybe. You know, he was supposed to have his his amount and I was supposed to have mine. And, you know, nobody would have overdosed or anything like that. And and so guilt and, and the thought of death, um, it just, it just, well, it didn't wake me up, but it freaked me out. Got me thinking a little bit. Uh, I said, I, I need to be done with this world. I can't take it anymore. I contacted my father, moved in with him, and I certainly didn't want to because I knew I knew he, how he was as a Christian, and I was like, freedoms are going to be taken away from me. I'm not going to be able to do all these things that I've been doing that I want to do, um, all, this, all this sin. I'm not going to get away with it, but maybe I can stabilize. Maybe I can be safe. You know, it, I just, I was just like, I need to find some refuge right now. And, and, um, he was so excited to, to hear me reaching out to him. Uh, and, uh, and I told him that there wouldn't be any issue with my mom in, in the, you know, law sense. He instantly, you know, got to work and trying to, uh, put the gospel in my life and have me be in the word. And, um, and I was going to his church and of course no one was, no one was talking to me or anything at the church because I show up with this crazy like punk hair and like metal band shirts and like ripped up jeans and stuff. Nobody would speak to me. Nobody even spoke to him for a bit as this like single dad. Eventually, he he, we went to the court and so he was pushing like I've got my son now. I shouldn't have to pay child support for him. Uh, and as soon as he was doing that, my mom had contacted me and was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry about the things I said. Please come back." Um, you know, and that just angered me uh, and built a lot of resentment. And uh, he, I had told him about that. I showed him that. And, and uh, he led me to First Corinthians 5, which in the context, you've got a situation where there's a, a so-called believer who's in the church, but he's involved in such disgusting sin that it's even kind of stuff that's unheard of with the unbelievers in the community there. And, and Paul is on it, and he's like, this is wrong. This is a blight upon the pure name of Christ, which is supposed to be uh, represented by your church. And you need to remove this pretender um, so that he can be uh, under the the judgment of God to either repent or continue his ways, which would show he's not a believer, right? So my dad said, you know, hey, hey, your mom is like this one in that position. And here it says in the text, you don't associate with, with a person like that. At the time, he w- he had told me, um, he had convinced me that uh, associate means you just don't have anything to do with them. My my opinion on that has changed a bit now, but um, needless to say, uh, I was more than happy to just cut her out of my life and just be like, yeah, this crazy, you know, this crazy lady, um, look what she's doing to me, 
she just wants me back for the money. No, thank you. Um, and just stored that bitterness in my heart. Continuing from there, I was, uh, I was back in school. And my world at this point was just becoming totally Christian. Um, I never got outside of the house, away from my dad, basically. So God used that in a great way, which um, kind of kept me out of trouble in a sense. When I started going to community college, I kind of got access to trouble again. But um, eventually we moved to California because my, my dad had been talking. Well, he'd been dating this, this woman for a while who's now my stepmom. Um, and he wanted to get me into master's college, but he just also wanted so much to get to a good church, to get to Grace. Um, you know, that's where he came from and just wanted to get back to it. And we had just gotten custody of my little sister, um, by God's grace. And uh, right when we moved, within a couple of days, they had their wedding. Uh, and within a couple of days, I was enrolled in master's. And that was interesting for me. I remember the day of enrollment, I was there with my stepmom and with Wendy, and uh, she she was talking to the, to the school and getting it all set up. And I'm just standing there and like kind of not too excited to go to this Christian school. Kind of not too excited that I just got stripped away from Washington, from my home and everything I knew. I feel someone staring at me and I look and there's, there's this large, buff, smiling, like 30-year-old man. And his, his name is Chuck Rush. He, from his little chair over here in the office, he goes, hey. I'm like, hi. And he says, uh, oh, so you're enrolling to come to school here? I'm like, yeah. He says, um, well, that's awesome. Are you going to go to Wow Week? You know, like the week of welcome where they, they kind of celebrate all the new students come and have a lot of fun. And I'm just being like a bummer. I'm like, nah, it's not really my speed. Um, and, and he's getting a little bummed out. He's still trying. He's, he's still trying. And he, he goes, um, you know, it's time for me to leave. And he, he basically says, uh, well, I, I'm going to be looking for you around campus. I hope I see you again. And he's giving his big old smile again. I was like, all right, cool. And I leave, and I'm like, I hope I don't bump into that weirdo again. In the first week of school, um, I, was, I was feeling kind of motivated about school. Um, I was not obviously not giving thanks to God, and, uh, but I was like, oh, I feel lucky to have come out of all this stuff that I came out of and to be where I am, to be able to go to college. And now starts my my march to success now starts my work um, to to um, pave the path for my future success. And I'll do that with college because that's, you know, how, yeah, that's the thought process, right? And so I, I hit the books pretty quick um, that first semester. And so that first, that first week I'm out in the tiny campus right outside the lower cafe studying. And, and I hear my name, I hear this guy go, Jordan. And I'm like, what? And I see him and I'm like, oh no, it's the smiley guy. Um, and he comes up and he tries to go for a hug and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't do touchies, you know, like <laughs> stay away. I don't even know you. And you seem to enjoy this a little too much. Uh, we talk for a moment and he can see I'm kind of like not having it again. But, uh, uh, I think, I think he, he either got my number at that moment or later or something, but, um, kept seeing him, kept running into him again. And at this point he's like forcing me to teach him how to hug. So we're like literally, um, He's like, squeeze me harder. He's like, no, move your arms here. And I'm like, dude, stop. People are watching. <laughs> like, you know, and um, and eventually uh, he he was like, hey, you know, I'm the leader of, of this dorm of, of uh, Waldock, I think it was. I'm the leader of this dorm. Come up and hang out with me. Come meet some of the guys. And so I was like, okay, sure. Go up there. Um, he's, he's bringing me down the hall to introduce me to 
the folks there. I was starting to get that uncomfortableness again because a lot of the guys were, were really bro-y and, and um, there wasn't a whole lot of clothes on them. And uh, and they wanted hugs too. And I'm just like, oh no, what's, what's going on? And is there something... Well, anyway, yeah, it's just like, this is weird. All that to say that just, um, I'm so thankful that the Lord had this guy pursue me there and he was such a um, blessing in my life to, uh, I don't know, I guess, maybe be a tool of the Lord to soften me in this place where I had a hardened heart and where I was like, okay, these, I'm not one of these Christians. This isn't the world I'm from. This is weird. Um, I had a lot, I still have a lot of pride, but I had a lot of pride and selfishness and thinking that some of these people, uh, there were weak cause they hadn't, some of them hadn't been through difficulties in life and that sort of thing. And so, as I mentioned, like here I am now in my dad's house, in this Christian college, in this amazing church, grace, um, big church, serious people. Um, they, they're watching and they're calling you to walk the walk that you profess. I started convincing myself that I was a believer. Um, I I genuinely thought I was for the longest time. I went on mission trips, um, got involved in evangelism. Most of the things in my life, at least on the outside, what you could view was just this, I guess, great Christian walk. Like nobody knew what I was doing on my own time, in secret, in private, in my thoughts. Um, they didn't know how much I just indulged in materialism and and just like uh, just the things of this world. But I would just kind of, I guess, explain that away, rationalize it away, just say, oh, yeah, we're all struggling with sin. Oh, yeah, that's just part of sanctification. Um, uh, oh, yeah, comparing myself to so-and-so, like I know what they're going through. Like, yeah, like God will help me get through this at some point, and I just kept making excuses for my sin. While there, I basically didn't notice that I was just falling back into my old ways again. I was just finding new ways to uh, go back to my sins and vices. And I mean, I didn't find any drugs at, at Masters, thank God. But um, but one of the vices um, in my heart was just uh, basically like needing to have a girlfriend. And so as I was there was constantly issues and things going on as I was seeking that. Um, and I was becoming jaded and angry as, as some of those attempts at relationships um, fell into catastrophe or just didn't work out or, or whatever. And um, time came for me to transfer to USC. So I was moving from Santa Clarita down to uh, Los Angeles and the downtown area. And, um, and I was moving there by myself, leaving my parents basically to go down there, stay down there, and go to school there, just in the middle of the city. And as I was doing that, I was coming out of uh, a relationship that I cared a lot about that, that fell apart. And I went into this new, this new school that, I mean, I was, I was a bit nervous. This was a whole new world, and I'm down there on my own living on a couch basically was was paying about a hundred a month for this couch. Uh, and that was just more grace of God, honestly, because he provided this place with these Christian men who were going to grace, two guys in a seminary and then a believer that went to USC and was in the piano school. Uh, and uh, the, the landlord was also a believer. And uh, he said, Hey, the rooms are full, but I'll let you rent out the living room. Uh, so he graciously only charged me a hundred a month. And I went into the school just with, with a lot of issues in my heart. Um, 
just a lot of holes. I just went back to my old ways and looking to fill those holes with sin. That went on for a long time. Um, and God was just so gracious. Um, he was just so patient with me. He gave me many chances, uh, and he just kept showering me with all these blessings. Um, there, you know, I didn't have much money. I was down there. There were times where I was hungry, um, but he always provided normally like through my parents or somebody. Uh, I was just taken care of uh, and protected, even though I was in like this terrible part of the neighborhood. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, there's some, we've got some stories um, of crazy things that went on. I just had so much pride as I was approaching graduation. I was like, right, the, the world's at my fingertips. I'm about to graduate from USC with a bio degree, going into med school. So that dream job or, or whatever um, is just within grasp. And that means the money is just within grasp. And that means the happiness that the money is going to buy me is within grasp. And I've got a you know, hot girlfriend and all this stuff. Like I thought that I had it made basically. Like it wasn't completely, you know, set up, but like, what could go wrong? After graduation, um, I found myself in a relationship about to get married. It fell apart because, because of a lot of my sin and issues. And when it ended, this wonderful family, one of the individuals pursued me by God's grace, pursued me in a sense, didn't just give up right away, but, but pursued me in a sense to say, you claim to be a believer. You claim to be a Christian. But your life doesn't show it. You you didn't you have not responded to the difficulties in faith and you do not show the fruit of Christian. I wrote it off and was just like, I am I must be dodging a bullet. Look, there's just evidence of these people's unkindness. Um, you know, I'm all good with God, you know. And I went on my way. A couple months later, I was in my room. It was God had it was a tough day, and I guess God had been bringing thoughts to my mind and to my heart. And I was in my room. Air conditioning hadn't been working. It was just super hot. Uh, there was, like, this ant infestation going on in our place at the time. Uh, and I just felt overwhelmed as those words rang in my, in my head, in my ears. And I looked at my life, and I looked at all the sin I was still struggling with. And I looked at the constant, the daily thoughts of suicide that were there. And I looked at, you know, the gashes on my wrist. And I looked at, or I thought about the tears that I cried myself to sleep every night and just all the craziness and the alcohol I was running to. And how there had been a repeating of that in my life, just the same sins over and over. It was just those words that rang in my head. And I thought, like, it's true. There is no fruit of repentance in my life. There is, there's no, there's no faith. Um, this isn't how a child of, of God acts. This isn't how one who's been redeemed and understands the sacrifice Christ has made and then wants to respond uh, in worship and in holiness out of thanks for that sacrifice. This is not how a person like that lives their life. And, and I just, fell on the ground weeping and sobbing and, you know, just sweaty in that room as these ants were like on me, biting me. It was like, and like, I'm like aware of that. And just like, this is, this is pitiful. I thought I was something great. I thought I was, I thought I had the world in my hands and, and all this stuff and that I was the one who was right with God and, and just all these things. And look, I'm just a pitiful beast. It was there that, um, 
I just, I went to the Lord's word and, and I didn't know what I was looking for. I was familiar enough with scripture to think that, uh, like, I'm kind of surprised I didn't go to like Psalms or something for comfort, but I landed in Isaiah and it was here as I just read these words and, and it just described my life and what I had recently just done, like in regards to, you know, the, these rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine. Um, they add sin to sin. They proceed down to Egypt. They proceed to their idol. They're seeking refuge in it, and that refuge became their shame. Um, and I I thought about that as all the idols I'd been constantly running to uh, just resulted in my shame. And and then those words in verse um, verse 15 where God says, In repentance and rest you would have been saved, and quietness and trust would have been your strength, but you were not willing. Verse 18 and onward was what just kind of was able to give me some hope as I felt as I was there in just so much despair, thinking uh, as I read this, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to me. Why can't he? It's because my sin, he does not bless sin, and he has to withhold blessing, and then that, you know, convicted me too. But just the rest of that passage where it talks about how God comes alongside and becomes your teacher through the discipline and leads you and then brings you to tear down all your idols and to throw them into the fire and to, and to tear them apart and get rid of them. It was So it was there that... Uh, I believe salvation really took hold of me. And and that was interesting because from there, that was a shock to people. Now, some people were like, what? You, you weren't a Christian before? What do you mean? Are you sure? And then so people like my, my disciples were scratching their heads and like reevaluating things and trying to understand things again. And, and uh, it was just very interesting time. And, um, and as I came forward and, you know, admitted what had been going on and who I had been. But the thing there, too, that brought me so much encouragement was that for the first time ever, I started seeing obedience. The first time ever I saw that fruit of the Holy Spirit um, where He takes a hold of you with the new heart He's given you and, and leads you to righteousness and obedience and sanctification and changes you and makes you hate the sins that you once loved. It makes you look at the temptations and say, no, I'm going to stay away from that. And um, gives you just such a disdain for them. And then the peace, the peace that was there too. The desire to die, the desire to harm myself, to kind of numb the feelings of pain with a different pain. The needs and the feelings to run to different lusts or to alcohol, that all went away as, as the peace of, of God comforted me. And, and, and you see that in Scripture as, as resulting of salvation. And so it was kind of like cyclical affirmation or encouragement and that just um encouraged me to, to run more and more and to like uh to seek him that was kind of a long answer to your question but i think that's, that's no, it. that was great that was great and i think it's very interesting that um many times and i think this happens a lot if, especially even like if you come from a religious background mm-hmm. that you make yourself belief that you're just good with God because you're doing X, Y, and Z. And it's expected of yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like to remind us that mm-hmm. just because I'm speaking or doing what Christians do, it doesn't mean that I have a transformed heart because right. it's the heart. The issues begins, you know, the yeah. problem, it's in our heart. 
we're if we're just deal with the behaviors and just um, with the outside, then we're just dealing simply with the symptoms. We ha- we have to deal with the heart. Yeah. And we tend to go into the world in order to fill this emptiness in our hearts. Yeah. You know, and it's like we hope to find you know what we're looking for in whatever the world has to offer when the only answer is Christ. Yeah. Christ is the only one, you know, who can give us a new heart. Amen. I mean, there were many times where I just justified it in my work. So I was like, well, you know, like I said, that we're all we're all sinners. Like, even though, you know, Christians still sin, right? And, and then just trying to, like, remind myself, oh, well, I, I went on that mission trip. That was a big deal. And, like, there's these two guys in my life that kind of attribute their... Uh, coming to know the Lord through me, like, you know, I must be a believer. Um, the works are there, right? And yeah. like you said, evaluating the heart and looking at the fruit and com- yeah. comparing it with the, with what the Word of God says, because yeah. God is not a liar. Yeah. yeah, and our greatest example is Jesus Christ. He is our model to follow, mm-hmm. and He lived a perfect life. And yeah. I know that we won't be able to live a perfect life, but that's the model yeah. that we should uh, that we should be pursuing, not being like the world, but it's Christ-like, walking by the Spirit and not by the desires of the flesh. Just thinking back on your own life, why do we need Christ? I think there's a number of ways to answer, and they all point back to the same truth, but but Christ is the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. He's the Holy One. He's the one who sets the standard and he commands us to repent and for some that might sound burdensome like oh i've got to i've got to listen to this authority over me i've got to change my ways i don't want to do that well there's there's so much reason to not just because he calls you to obedience to do that but it's it's not a burden he uh, it's such a gift from him it's such mercy because we are creatures of wickedness. We're born that way. We we start out with sinful programming, just as uh, Romans says, there's none who's righteous. There may be people who are good, decent, and then bad, but there's none who are righteous. That righteousness is the, is the declaration of the standard that he requires to be right with him, to be given the gift of everlasting life and, and mercy, and to be freed of the debt you owe, because as the perfect judge... He can't look on sin. He can't bless it, as we kind of talked about. Um, sin and him are, are like light and darkness. They're separated completely. That's why judgment comes for those who do not want the free gift of salvation and mercy that he gives. Uh, we need Christ for that. He's He's the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to salvation, and the only way to uh, a right standing with the Father. What are three things okay. that brings you joy? You know, this might sound funny. One of the things that gives me joy is sorrow. Sorrow. I love the way that God uses sorrow. Turn to Psalms for a second. Yeah. Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6 say, Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Looking at the psalmist's life, you see that he had a lot of sorrow, but he also had a lot of joy and rejoicing too, and those things were often tied together. And and many of the times where he shares his sorrow, he kind of has a cyclical thinking where he begins there, but he comes back with joy knowing that 
the Lord loves him, is his salvation, is his refuge. Um, and that's what sorrow for an unbeliever does. Uh, it, it gives you a good look at reality, at yourself, at your sinfulness, at the fallenness of the world around you, at the sadness in the world. And then as you take that and look at Christ and you look at God and you look at the Holy Spirit and the things they're doing that we do not deserve, um, you can't help but just celebrate and rejoice and be like, uh, the king has pulled me out of the gutter and brought me into his courts and he's cleaned me and he's taken the blood off of my hands and the mud from my feet and he's given me his own clothes. How can I not dance? How can I not celebrate? On to a second one, the church, just the body, fellowship, uh, just other believers. Um, even though that realistically means that you're dealing with other people's sins or you're dealing with your own sin as you interact with other people. There's just so much to be learned from that. It's, it's as Scripture says, iron sharpening iron. God uses it so greatly in our own life to see where we fall short and to see where we disrespect and dishonor God when we, uh, when we have unkindness towards others, when we have bitterness towards others. Um, because we know that Scripture says there should be no division in the church, that we have the bond of the Spirit, and that that bond of the Spirit uh, is so powerful and so meaningful that we can't let any other substance or, or condition be dividing in the Christian life. If someone thinks differently than you, if they don't like you, Whatever it is, it's it's not a legitimate reason for there to be any division because you all have the Holy Spirit and because Christ died for that person and loves that person too. And it's it's a very humbling thing that brings joy through the sanctification, but then also there is so much joy and fun and positivity to it, through it too because we see in Scripture that uh, we're supposed to worship corporately. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not called to a life of hermit style worship of God. Like surely you do need to have your personal walk in a sense um, that, that you cultivate that outside of the group settings. Sometimes I'm in our Bible studies or something and I, it's going to sound creepy, I guess, but sometimes I'm just looking around and watching and looking at smiles or hearing conversations or hearing people pray for each other or someone run up to meet a guest or go out of their comfort zone or something like that. And I'm just like, wow, this is this is a snapshot of how God wants it to be. This is a, a little sample of, of heaven. Um, you see in Revelations that beautiful picture of uh, all these different nations and, and languages and everything, all these people that Christ has redeemed without partiality. Um, they're in front of the throne worshiping the Lamb and uh, in, in perfect harmony. Uh, and it's just a little snapshot of that when you look around the church and, and you say, praise God for that. Mm-hmm. So that's the second one, trials. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's related to that whole sorrow thing, but we know from Scripture and then from experience that uh, God uses trials so so powerfully. It's how he it's how he takes that piece of stone and chisels it into into a work of art, or takes that pot and applies the pressure uh, and um, the disheveling and the damaging of it. Or, or think of even like a diamond or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or gold. Um, you know, just all these different metaphors come to mind of uh, something that has to be given pressure, given pain, given a little bit of destruction in some ways to be made new and more valuable and beautiful. I can think of some of the most painful things I've been through in life that will live with me forever, most likely, that I, that I think of on a regular basis, that I have scars of in some cases. And 
even those I'm I'm so thankful for and I rejoice for because not only did it please my God to have that event happen for his glory, because if we are his ambassadors and his children, our preferences are not only um, put aside, but our preferences become submitting to his will. Our preferences become wanting what God wants. So we rejoice when he gets his way. The flip side of that is that we, we get to benefit from it too. So when trials and difficulties happen and you obey properly by, by the help of the Holy Spirit and you emerge from that triumphant and you just, I mean, obviously it's not your work, even though you're doing it, it's the strength of the Holy Spirit in you. And there's just so much reason for rejoicing seeing that. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you. And thank you for uh, sharing this with us. And thank you for sharing your testimony with us. And My pleasure. I hope that if you were encouraged through uh, Jordan's testimony, and um, you might be asking yourself, where am I standing with the Lord in, in this moment? I think it's a good time just to go back to Scripture, to reevaluate your own life, mm-hmm. and to really ask yourself, am I walking in a way that is worthy of Christ? Am I walking by the Spirit? Or am I walking by my flesh? So thank you again for all of you who are watching, listening. Uh, we are so grateful for all of you. If you'd like to share your testimony with us, you can either, if you're watching this video, you can um, watch the end of this video and you will find the email there. But if not, you can also find us on our on social media, on Instagram or Facebook. You can send us a message or simply send us an email and uh, just let us know how the Lord has brought you out of darkness into light. I'll see you guys next week on the next episode of Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. I told my mom, I'm moving to Vegas. I was 22 at the time. And I was so stubborn because I didn't have a job. I had a little bit of money in my pocket and I like stayed in my car like in the middle of summer. And I lose all my money except for like 20 bucks. And I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm going to play a little bit more blackjack. And if I lose and I got a gas card, (laughs) I'll just go back home. (laughs) So 